Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. Hello, my friends. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to another episode of the snooze button. I'm very excited about today's topic because this is something, you know, like many of my episodes are things that I talk to parents about all the time. This one, for whatever reason, especially recently in the last couple of months, I have just been like, I need to do an entire episode about this because I'm about to throw my computer out the window if I have to talk a poor, stressed out parent off a ledge again that has been needlessly worrying and in some cases even shamed about their child's growth chart. Let's get into it. So, what is it about this obsession? I have a quote here from Dr. Joseph Hagen, a clinical professor in pediatrics at the University of Vermont College of Medicine and the Vermont Children's Hospital. He says, when describing his interaction with parents about the size of their babies, there is no word I use in any given day more than normal, 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 normal. The amount of anxiety among parents has risen to such a remarkable level in the last decade that it's taking away from people actually enjoying and taking pleasure in their children. It really troubles me. Now, he this is pulled from an article, one of many I have read about growth charts and the issues with growth charts. And he is specifically talking about not people just asking if they, you know, they're not rolling yet. Um, they are, eat this much. Strictly, he's talking in this, in, in what this quote is discussing, about parents panicking about their child's growth chart. So what I want to do, just to ease all of your minds, is for you guys to understand the purpose of why growth charts were created, how they were made, and why I need you to not panic about changes in your child's growth charting. Okay. Most important thing here is the main purpose of growth charts is document trends. Yes. Now, if you have a baby who is born in the 95th percentile for everything and a month later is in the 2 percentile, of course that is concerning. That is a huge change, right? There are, of course, cases where this becomes relevant and there are concerns and there are issues. There's failure to thrive. The most important thing, though, when this data was collected, and it has changed over time, it is children from a couple of specific areas of the world, and it was charting where they all fell at a given time. It was not a line showing, because here, this, like, follow me with this, because I think this is the part that people don't understand. When they're saying, okay, your son was in the 25th percentile last month, now he's in the 15th, I'm worried. That doesn't make sense because what a doctor or a nurse or whoever are you as a parent is looking at, you are not looking at other kids who were in the 25th percentile all stayed there or all went up and yours is dropping and this is unusual. The growth charts, the plotting of them is we took X many one, you know, 12 month olds. We took X many 11 month olds. We took X many 10 month olds. It's just plotting where people, where various children at that age were on the chart. It is not following those children through the first year of life and showing you the trend that your child is supposed to be having. This is the really, really important piece. The lines you see in a growth chart do not represent a single child's growth and what, where we expect them to be going. Okay. It's tons of different kids at tons of different ages in a moment in time. So there is not a study or a reason for you to believe that if your child is in the 25th percentile for weight at two months, that that is where they should be 
at six months or four months or eight months or anything else. Does that make sense? I think that's like a really, really, really important piece of this puzzle that most people just don't know because we're not told, right? I only know this from my own training and research. Okay. So now what I want you to do, or to listen to, I should say, to just be less scared about all of this stuff. So what two doctors did, um, and these are all different studies that I've read because you know me, I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to do the, the dirty work here. I'm going to go, I'm going to actually read the, the medical journals and the studies and talk to doctors, and I'm going to come back and tell you what I find. So there was a study published about 10 years ago where doctors plotted 10,000 kids' heights and weights across the first year of life. So exactly what the growth charts do not do, okay? You guys are going to be fascinated by this. So they were not looking at, when, when you go to the doctor today, you person listening, you're getting like the World Health Organization or the CDC, because they use both, depending on the child's age, you're getting like, in a moment in time, here's where other 10-month-olds were. You are not getting 10-month-olds who were at this weight and height before should be at this, but that is not what you're getting. But it's what this study decided to look at to basically challenge or dispute or confirm the importance of growth charts. So they looked at 10,000 kids, okay, babies, over the first year of their life, and they were looking at where were these kids when they were born? Where were they at a month, two months, three months? They were looking the entire time to see if they could find a pattern. And guess what they found? No pattern. No pattern, you guys. So from birth to 12 months, two-thirds, 66% of the kids fell by at least a percentage line in both things, at least two-thirds. More than a third dropped by two whole lines. That means going from the 50th to the 30th, something like that. And of the entire group, 30% of the kids, somewhere between birth and 12 months, dropped in one place or another to the level that is considered by the growth chart standards to be failure to thrive. Yet none of them were failing to thrive. They were just growing at different paces. So when they closed out this study after a year with 10,000 kids, only a quarter of the kids had actually stayed in the same percentile. Think about that for a second, a quarter of them. So if our goal with the growth charts is to say, this is where your baby is, this is where they need to stay, that means 70, 75% of kids are going to be failing. So obviously that gives us pause, right? It gives us major pause, right? Because that means it is understandable why so many of my clients come to me you know, before we start the process and say, we really want to do this. We're exhausted. Our child isn't eating well. They're not sleeping well. Like, we know this is going to work. But at their two-month appointment, at their four-month appointment, they were in the 30th percentile, and now they're in the 20th. So our doctor wants us to keep in two night feeds. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. No, please. <laughs> this is why. Okay, like I said before, the growth charts are not meant to be a diagnostic tool. They are meant to represent in a snapshot in time, which – to be clear, in the past, here's where kids fell who were your child's age. It is meant to identify trends, and it is meant to flag major variances. Of course you would want your doctor measuring your child and seeing where they are. And listen, I think part of the reason that we get so worked up about this stuff is because when you have a baby, you don't have a lot of data points in general about them. So let's, let's think instead about... Let's say, like, I dropped my four-year-old off at preschool for the first day, for, you know, for his first day today. He's four. 
think about how many points I have. And if you're a parent who has older kids, like who are past that first year of life, um, stay with me on this because you're going to know what I'm saying. When you have a four-year-old, think about how many data points you have on them as a person and like their development and growth. You might say, my daughter, you know what? She's shy. That's who she is. She's, she's really shy. But she is so friendly when she gets comfortable with kids. And one thing we've been working with her on is finding more ways for her to get comfortable approaching new friends and working, uh, you know, on moving towards parallel play to more interactive play. Or, you know, my son is super athletic. Um, you know, he's, he, we've, you know, he's seven and he's not reading yet. And we have, you know, there are things we're working on with that. But this kid loves to run and jump. And this is really his outlet. And we signed him up for a bunch of sports activities or you know, my kid is just so inquisitive. Um, they really struggle with picky eating, but where you just have all these different things you can say about your kid and ways to, in some ways, honestly, as parents, you know, if you're someone listening to this, you're like me. You care about your kids. You are tracking things. You are paying attention. You want to help them be better people to grow in every way, shape, and form. Um, and when you have a little, little baby, there isn't much to do. All you can do really is you can, obviously, they're feeding in their sleep right? Those things are important. And how big they are and like how much they cry. That's like literally all you can talk about, right? That you don't have much else to say. So if you don't have other data points to fall back on, it's easy. And I've been there too. I was thinking as I was putting together this um, this episode, I was like thinking of how many times I've like gotten in the car after one of my kids. Um, and I, you know, I, it's funny because it's like the more the more experienced I've gotten with all of this stuff, the you know, the less I've done this. But for sure with Teddy and even with Baker, especially because my youngest or sorry, my middle son Baker um, was only four pounds when he was born. He was a 34 weeker. So I remember getting in the car after pediatrician appointments and like immediately calling my mom and being like, you're not going to believe it. Baker is like he's like in the 30th percentile now. Or like I remember the first time because he was so little when he was born. He was not on the chart. Neither was Teddy. Neither of my kids when they were born were even on the the growth chart. They were like <laughs> negative percentile points. So like our first big hump to get over was like getting on the chart at all. So I remember that phone call being like, they're on the chart. It's like exciting. You're like, you have something to talk about. And then I remember, and Teddy still is tall to be fair, but he was always super tall. And I'd be like, he's still in the da-da-da percentile. Like he climbed a little bit in this percentile and did, you know, it's, he only dropped a little bit. And like, you're obsessing over it. And I get it because there isn't much else to measure, but it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. We shouldn't be doing that. So here are some other things to be thinking about. When they put these charts together, they tracked a couple of isolated, and don't get me wrong, it was a broad group. You know, it was a number of different countries and ethnicities and things like that. But it's this like conglomerate, those charts of all of these different types of kids. So for instance, if you are, so I'm Irish, Irish people, just from an ethnicity standpoint, have big heads, typically. It's a common trait among people from Ireland. Okay, so let's think of another group. And I don't want to be like, I feel like I can say Irish because that's what I am, so I can like stereotype. Let's say, this isn't even an ethnicity thing, this would just be like a family genetics thing. Say your dad was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears in the 80s, okay? Um, And he has a child. Now, what are the chances, regardless of how much they're eating, if they were premature, da-da-da-da-da, if they're formula-fed, breastfed, like all the things people are spiraling about, what do you think the chances are that the child of the Chicago Bears linebacker is going to be big in, in any way, shape, or form? What do you think the chances are that he's going to be big? What do you think the chances are 
that the child with two Irish parents, the big noggins themselves, are going to have a kid whose head circumference is much larger than other babies their age. What are the chances of those two things? I'm going to go on a limb here and say very high, okay? And the other way around as well. I will never forget, and you know, I'm being honest here, because even though I know these things, in the moment when it's your own kid, which is why I have so much empathy for my clients, and I'm never rolling my eyes at them, being like, oh my God, why do you care about this? Because I've cared about it too. I remember with Delaney, my third, going to my pediatrician, who thank God is a an excellent one, who understands this concept I remember saying to him like you know she's still pretty little like she was in like the she had been she was born in the 50th percentile and by the time we'd gone to I don't remember what month it was we went to some appointment and she was in like the 20th and I was like oh she's kind of little you know like I know it's fine but like she's kind of little and he looked at me and he goes look at you why do you think you're gonna have a a big fat baby do you remember her brothers like he was joking with me he's like "I, I mean it's true I weigh like 105 pounds and my husband is not big either like why would I assume that I'm going to have especially a girl I'm being honest women are typically smaller than men right of course those charts are a little bit you know are obviously adjusted by gender but still I'm a petite woman my parents called me the bird when I was a baby because I had such skinny little legs my two older kids weren't even on the growth chart when they were born because they were so small and like we're a little family. That's just the way it is. So we we have to remember that ethnicity and family history are huge factors in these things, right? Um, and of course, you could argue then, do we need to be making different growth charts for different ethnicities? But that's not really going to work because what about families where one parent is uh, very petite? Um, they, maybe they're Asian descent and they're tiny. And then they marry that, you know, Chicago Bears linebacker who's African-American. And like, you know, they make a ba- I mean, who knows what that baby's going to be, right? There's just there's no perfect way to do it, which is why we just need to be looking at these things differently, these growth charts. So the other reason I want you guys not to panic about the growth charts is that they're not being used to properly reflect how ch- children grow. And that's what I mean when you when you need to have this understanding that, you know, when you're seeing that your child is in the 25th percentile, that's not saying diagnostically they need to be in the 25th percentile at the next appointment. That is not how we grow. That's not how humans grow. So what children do is they have periods where they're not growing a lot at all. And then they have periods where they're growing a lot. Think about the entire concept of a growth spurt right? You have a kid who has growing pains. I mean, think we know this factually, right? That they're going to go through periods where they're growing and periods where they're not, okay? So that is one point in terms of like where are we mapping, right? If I happen to take my kid to an appointment the week before they go through a big growth spurt or I happen to schedule it for the following week. Beyond that, when we're looking in the first couple of months of life where we're talking about a difference in mere ounces, you could bring your, let's just say it's uh, your, you know, three-month appointment. You could bring a three-month-old in, and depending on, let's just say they start off that day with the exact same weight, okay? I'm talking specifically about weight here. They start off the, that day at uh, 11 pounds exactly on the dot. You go in, if they are a baby who poops once a day or once every other day, and they have just taken their biggest poop of their life in the hours between when you weighed them that morning and when they got to the doctor's appointment, that could be like 10 percentile points, okay? Think about it. We're talking about ounces here. If a baby only weighs 9, 10, 11 pounds, then a five-ounce bottle is a huge (laughs) jump in their growth chart. Like, I don't know why, like, I'm the one who has to tell people this. It feels like a doctor should say, like, did they eat recently? Did they poop recently? And the patterns of it, right? Like, what if you have a baby who 
um, is, you know, not maybe on a great schedule with sleeping and feeding and they're taking small kind of snacks throughout the day. So like they had an ounce and a half before and then they have an ounce and a half after you weigh them and things like that versus a baby that just guzzled six ounces or a baby that poops consistently throughout the day. So their weight is kind of always stabilized versus one that is pooping less regularly for whatever reason because Again, babies go through patterns, and I will tell you guys, and I know this is extreme, obviously I asked the pediatrician about it many times, and he confirmed this happens sometimes, it's normal, and he was perfectly healthy and it was fine, but Baker, my little middle guy, he went through a phase when he was, I, I want to say he was like five or six months, but it was like a few months, it was, maybe it was like between five five to eight months, where you guys, I'm not exaggerating, he would poop like every 10 days, like, and I was like, should I be concerned, like, he seemed happy, he wasn't like in, optically in pain, he was eating really well, like, nothing was... And my pediatrician was like, yeah, some ba- it's unusual, but some babies do this. And like we're, you know, he knew me. I also think, you know, I, one thing that helps me in doctor's offices, which is, you know, I can't, uh, I can't make this your reality, but when you work like in the pediatric space and you know a lot of things, like a doctors also like trust you more. If I tell them something, it's like, no, this is what's happening, but blah, 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 blah. Like they know that I'm used to seeing babies all the time and I know what to look for, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, no, he's fine. Um... So you think about how different his weight was. You guys, when he would have those blowouts 10 days after the last time he pooped, one I will never forget. Please, um, if uh, stories about poop upset you, you can just stop listening now. But I was in a grocery store with him. It was like a small local, if you guys live in uh, the Peach Cities, it's, it was Grow. It was Grow on PCH. I took him to the grocery store, just the two of us. He was in like the upper Vista car seat. And I had all the groceries in the Vista below. And he had his one every 10 day poop. And it went not only through his diaper and clothing, it went through the car seat and it was dripping into the Vista, like into like a thing of grapes and some cucumbers below uh, in the seat. So that was super fun. Anyway, that was a really long tangent just to say that's another factor, right? So let's just even, let's say that for the sake of argument, the growth charts are supposed to be a linear thing where like if you're in this percentile, you should be in this one for the next point. We're still not even adjusting for like your baby happened to have been going through a growth spurt at this date or this date or that they pooped or didn't poop or that they ate and didn't eat, right? And that's just not how children grow. The other thing I will often have clients tell me, like anytime I hear like, oh, hey, we just wanted to check this with you because of blah, blah, blah at this appointment. I'm like, before you spiral and tell me that they are having some issue, I want to know where they were in the growth chart before, where they were when they were born, and all of the things, not just their weight. Tell me their height and their head circumference. Because oftentimes as well, those things are not going to grow at the same pace, right? So you might have a child who, like, they were, you know, around, let's just say for the sake of argument, they were, like, around the 50th percentile at the last appointment for head or for sorry for height and weight okay and then you go to the next appointment and now they're in the 15th percentile for weight but they're in the 70th for height that to me says this kid is listen a kid who is failing to thrive and is not is not like properly growing they wouldn't be growing in height just not weight like think about that logically they are growing it's just they're growing up instead of out at this moment in time this is a snapshot of where they are right and i think that's a really important factor too Here's the bottom line, though. A good pediatrician can tell by looking at a baby if they're failing to thrive. They just can. I've heard that from many pediatricians. A good pediatrician is not going to blindly look at a chart and be like, well, you were in this one before, and now you're in this one, and that's bad. They will ask you questions and say, this is a little bit of a drop. Tell me about what's going on. How are you guys doing? How is he eating? How is he sleeping? How is he feeling? A a good doctor would not say to you, let's just say you have especially... 
if they're asking all of these factors because breastfed babies do tend to be slower on the growth chart curve as well. That's just a fact. A good doctor, if they saw you drop from the 50th percentile to the 30th or 25th, might say nothing at all if the baby looks happy and healthy. They might say, are you nursing? Okay, that makes sense. Um, How are they sleeping? Oh, they sleep through the night? That makes sense. How are they eating? Oh, they take good full feeds? Okay, and look at this baby. I remember Dr. Bob, our pediatrician, when I was having my like two-second spiral about Delaney um, with her weight. He was like, look at her. Like she's, this is, I can tell she's a happy, healthy baby. Like she's making eye contact. She's smiling at us. She's observant. She's, you know, nervous when you hand her to the nurse. Like this is a baby who is happy and growing. I do not care that she's slightly lower on the growth chart. And I will say too, of my three kids now, she's the one with those big, fat, chunky thighs. She's two years old and she still has leg rolls. She's, she's a-okay. So here is what I want to tell you. If you are being given, right, I said this, a good pediatrician can tell by looking if a baby is failing to thrive and they would be asking you thoughtful questions and trusting you as a parent. If you are made to feel, and this is true with any professional, it's true with someone like me. It's true with a sleep consultant. It's true with a speech pathologist. It's true with a lactation consultant. I've heard some stories there too. And it's true with doctors. We are all human beings. If you are trusting someone to support you and help you understand your child, and the information or feedback you're being given sounds overly dramatic, is fear-mongering, or makes you feel scared and anxious, and your gut says, this isn't right, go get another opinion. Go get another opinion. I don't care. I, I genuinely don't care. If your doctor says, this is horrible, your baby's, you know, I, I, I almost like don't want to tell you guys this story, but I had like a really crazy experience once with a a client whose pediatrician told them that if their baby dropped below a certain point on the growth chart, they would struggle in school academically, being they wouldn't learn how to read because they, you know, weren't being fed properly, right? And and that woman, I remember her calling me so deflated. She was like, "He's so happy. He's so healthy. Like he's growing so well. I don't understand why I was told this." And I said to her, "Listen, you need to trust your gut." And if I were you, my gut says, get another opinion. Like no one should make a mom feel that way, especially a mom who's presenting a baby that's happy and healthy, right? And I think just trusting your gut in general, this goes both directions. It could be the, it could be the opposite. It could be that your child optically to you seems like they're not growing well and you are worried despite the fact that you feel like you're feeding them properly and all these things, you feel like something's off. That's, not, that's just as much of a reason to seek a second opinion. If you're worried about something and somebody's dismissive of you, that's just as bad as somebody giving you something to be afraid of that you don't need to be afraid of. Um, and I will tell you guys very quickly two cases. Well, one, I, I was involved in it, but I was a baby, so I don't remember. But I remember my mom kind of gave me this lecture when I was pregnant about like, I don't know how it came up, but you know, just about like advocating for your kid and trusting your gut in certain situations and she told me a story about how you know she's like I knew you as a baby I knew the type of baby you were and you were just a pretty quiet baby you just shocking honestly um she's like you just didn't cry that much you were like pretty chill and one day and I was you know two months old or something I was just like inconsolable like crying all day crying all night like they had so and I had been fine up until that point she took me to the pediatrician and they were very like poo-poo lady this is baby's cry like she's fine and my mom went home And she was like sitting there with my dad and she just got like really angry and was like, she's not fine. Like, I don't care if other babies cry this much. She doesn't cry this much and something's wrong. And like, no. And she, in her words, you know, it's probably more dramatic than it was. We all have, you know, 
we all have like the the beer goggles of, of what happened but she went back to the doctor and like demanded to have me checked out more and was like something's wrong and lo and behold poor little me had like the most aggressive raging double ear infection that like they had ever seen but to them it was like well she's fine like babies cry I wasn't fine my mom trusted her gut um, and the same thing happened to me when Teddy my oldest was in the NICU I remember this so vividly and I'm so proud of myself for what I did, but it was really hard and they were not wanting to discharge him. Um, They said he was struggling to eat. They had a feeding tube in his nose and without having any sort of medical expertise, I said to myself, if there's a tube going into his nose that is consistently giving him food, how is he going to latch and be hungry and take a good feed so I can prove that I can feed my baby despite having ample milk supply and ample milk that I'm producing by pumping to give to him. And I finally convinced this one angel woman nurse I will never forget her Lauren she was incredible she agreed like kind of behind the doctor's back to take the feeding tube out for me temporarily lo and behold guess who was discharged less than 12 hours later because yeah no shit as soon as he didn't have a feeding tube in his freaking nose he was eating great and we got to go home and God only knows how long we would have been in that godforsaken NICU I'm sorry can you tell I have PTSD from it from that experience um but sometimes you just have to trust your gut and advocate for yourself. And I think that the growth chart conversation is one where I, I wish that more parents did. And I want them to release a little bit of this anxiety. So hope it was informative as always. Love you guys. Um, and if you are waiting to start making sleep changes be- until your baby hits a certain place on the growth chart, please don't. Shoot me an email. I will convince you that you're doing great. And whenever you want to do it, your baby's ready. Okay, see you guys next week. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it. So make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to brittanysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at Sleep.